Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. Well, this morning I'd ask that you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, as we continue to look at the Lord's Prayer today. Uh, we have been working our way the past several weeks through the Lord's Prayer and looking specifically at all the components of a healthy prayer life that's demonstrated to us through the Lord's Prayer. So far we've seen how Jesus models and demonstrates and tells us then to pray in such a way as to incorporate adoration, to adore the Lord our God, to, to simply recognize who He is and how majestic and mighty and beautiful and wonderful He is. We've seen how Jesus... Uh, explains to us, even though He was free from sin, that we are to confess our sins, asking for forgiveness and allowing us to reflect on the fact that God is good to forgive us. We saw last week how we are to offer thanksgiving, even though Jesus specifically doesn't mention thanksgiving in this prayer throughout His ministry, throughout His life. He modeled an attitude of thanksgiving in His prayers, even on the night that He was betrayed, thanking the Father for the very cup of His blood that would be shed for forgiveness of our sins. And today we come to the fourth component of a healthy prayer life, that is supplication or our requests, the things that we would like to see God do. Now this is where we spend, I think, probably the majority of our prayer lives asking God for things. And there's good reason for that. Because even as we read the Lord's Prayer, we see that there are a number of things that Jesus Himself is asking the Father for. And so we're we're actually going to divide this up over the next several weeks and, and look at three things that Jesus asks for specifically for the kingdom to come, our kingdom, our desired kingdom, and then our physical needs, our daily bread, and then finally our spiritual needs. But today as we look at the first request, supplication for our desired kingdom. I think we understand the need for this kingdom to arrive. Because as we look around us on the earth, what we see is not an orderly and good and just system that is governing the affairs of men. There are some governments that are better than others. There are some things that occur on the earth that are good. But by and large, the overwhelming trajectory of the world and its system is one toward chaos and disintegration and wickedness. This has always been the case, though. You can look throughout history. One of the things that brought this into sharp focus in the minds of people was an event that occurred in the year 410 A.D. Now, I'm taking you way back here. Okay, I like history, but we're going back 1,600 years. In the year 410 A.D., the unthinkable happened. For the first time in 800 years, nearly a millennium, the city of Rome, the shining jewel of Western civilization, the eternal city, as it was called, and the cornerstone of the greatest empire to ever exist was invaded, ransacked, 
as people carried away into slavery or murdered. And most people, not just those that were living in Rome at the time, but, but those around the world, when they learned of Rome's fall, thought that such a defeat was impossible. How could this happen? And many were left scratching their heads, wondering what had happened to allow this earth-shattering, unthinkable tragedy. And as people tried to reconcile what had happened, it soon became common to actually lay the, feet, lay, lay the blame at the feet of Christians. See, 100 years earlier, before the fall of Rome, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, had converted to Christianity and had officially ended all persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire and allowed Christianity to grow and flourish within the empire. Many prominent Romans, though, saw this shift toward Christianity as the reason for the ultimate decline and defeat of the Roman Empire. And soon, hostility began began to increase toward Christians. You can just imagine Christians being called closed-minded bigots. I don't know the Latin translation for that, but for condemning the promiscuity of the culture and denouncing the false gods of the Roman Empire. But in response to this growing resentment, Augustine of Hippo wrote one of the most important works of Christian theology that's ever been produced, called The City of God. I have a copy here. You can see it's it's not a quick read. right? It's a thousand page work. And in this book, Augustine argues that there are only and have ever only been two cities. Two cities. There's the city of man... And the city of God. And these two cities have always been opposed to one another. And while the city of man is in a state of perpetual decline and will ultimately be erased, the city of God is advancing and will one day reign supreme on the earth and will one day overthrow the city of man. Now, every human is born by default into the city of man. But only Christians are citizens of the city of God. And while there is overlap, we should not mistake things like the defeat of a major world power or the decline of a prominent cultural power to be a sign that the world is ending or that God has abandoned us. Instead, we should see it as evidence of the fact that the city of man is declining while the city of God is increasing. That history is progressing toward this inevitable end point where the city of God, the kingdom of God, will be established on the earth and Christ will reign as king forevermore. And Augustine pointed to the fact that from the very beginning of Genesis, this conflict between these two cities can be used to explain all of the major events of world history. Cain killing his brother Abel was a conflict between the city of God and the city of man. Or, in biblical terms, between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. All the events of world history, including the fall of Rome, is moving us closer toward the realization of the city of God. 
Now, this thinking that all of human history is moving us closer to the realization of the city of God or the kingdom of God did not originate with Augustine. While the evidence of this reality can be seen throughout the Bible going all the way back to Genesis, it's here in the Sermon on the Mount and specifically here in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus tells us that we should pray for the kingdom to come. But in some ways, this seems like an odd request. Why should we worry about praying for God's kingdom to come? Surely there are other more pressing needs. Praying for our daily bread. Praying for our loved ones to be healed. Praying for financial burdens to be lifted. Those things seem more our speed. They seem more like the things that we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis that we need to be praying for. Why bother with praying for the kingdom of God to come. Especially if we've already been promised that it is going to come. Why pray for this? Yet here, this is the very first thing that Jesus makes a request for. After asking that God's name would be hallowed, after adoring God's name, (coughs) the first action that He asks God Himself to take is that His kingdom would come. So as we consider supplication then, this is the first thing we will turn our attention to. And so if you are able, I would ask that you please stand together with me this morning in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, our Lord Jesus Christ tells us, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's once again turn in prayer to our God. O Lord, we desire this morning to see your kingdom come. Lord, we look around us and we grieve over the wickedness that we see in our society, in our own city. We grieve over the suffering that is inflicted on the people of this world through events such as earthquakes as we've already prayed for this morning. Lord, how heartbreaking it is to see children pulled from the rubble of collapsed buildings. God, what a tragedy. And yet, in a few months... Lord, because this world is so dark and so messed up, this major news event will barely be a blip in our memories. Most of us will have forgotten it entirely, and there will surely be another tragedy that we are then turning our attention toward. Lord, we we operate at this whiplash pace because there's so many things going wrong so regularly. And so then, Lord, we simply ask that your kingdom would come. We ask that you would bring to fruition that which you have promised. 
that the dominion of darkness would give way to the city of God. And that Christ would return to rule and reign on the earth forevermore. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, in this book, in the city of God, Augustine characterized the city of man as a kingdom that's full of sinfulness, selfishness, greed, and idolatry. And these, he explained, these are the things that ultimately led to Rome's demise. The culture had become so debauched that it tore itself apart from within. And while that was true of Rome in 410 AD, it's also been true of every other earthly kingdom. Many of you have probably seen this week and, and been appalled by the images and videos that came from the Grammy Awards last Sunday night. Now, if you've not seen those things, if you've not been troubled by that, then thank goodness and don't go looking for it. I won't go into great detail explaining it, but suffice it to say, it was full-blown sexualized Satan worship. Now, those of you that know me, you know that I don't like to necessarily comment on every hot-button cultural, political issue that comes up from the pulpit. I don't make it my habit to do that, but the fact is, what took place at that event, what took place at the Grammys, is the peak expression of the city of man. It is Sodom and Gomorrah resurrected in our culture under our noses. And so we need to understand then what Jesus is teaching us to pray for and why he is teaching us to pray for it. Because the request that God's kingdom would come is directly related to combating what we see being expressed in the wickedness of our culture. Our great need right now is for the kingdom of God to arrive and vanquish once and for all the domain of darkness, the city of man. And so then, how do we understand this request? Jesus' instruction for us to pray this way. That God's kingdom should come. Well, when it comes to the kingdom of God in Scripture, there's an important principle that I hope to help you understand this morning. And that principle is that the kingdom of God, when we talk about the kingdom of God, it is both already and not yet. It is an already kingdom, it has already arrived, it is here, it is breaking into the world in which we live, and even so, it has not yet come in the way that we fully expect it. Now, if you're scratching your head a little bit at that, don't worry, we've still got a few minutes here to to try to get through this. But the New Testament alone mentions the kingdom of God 162 times. It's an important principle, an important theological doctrine that's revisited time and time again. Now, obviously, we're not going to look at every one of those references. I want to get you out of here before the Super Bowl kicks off, right? But the idea that those references consistently communicate throughout the New Testament, throughout all of Scripture, is that God's kingdom has come to the earth. It's already here, and yet... 
there are still some aspects of God's kingdom that have not yet come, that we do not yet see, that we're still waiting for. And so we will start this morning by talking about God's already kingdom, the parts of the kingdom that we already know and see. You see, when Jesus arrived on the scene, when Jesus began his public ministry, we're told that this is the message that he proclaimed in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There is no more timely message that I could preach to you this morning than to say, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the message that Jesus came preaching. It's the message that we still need to proclaim today. That a lost and dying world needs to hear. The kingdom has come. Repent. Believe the gospel. Submit yourself to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is what our world needs to hear. His message was that God's kingdom had finally arrived. It was here on the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, what is the kingdom? How do we understand this? What does Jesus mean when he says that the kingdom is at hand? Well, (coughs) Graham Goldsworthy, a theologian, defines the kingdom of God as God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. As we look at that definition, as we think about what had happened throughout Scripture leading up to the point of Jesus arriving, we see that the kingdom of God had truly existed only momentarily in the Garden of Eden. There, Adam and Eve were able to live as God's people, in God's place, under His rule and His blessing. And it was good. God said. It was exciting. It was full of joy and fulfillment. There was no sickness, no suffering, no earthquakes. Nothing bad. Nothing sad. But because of their rebellion, because of their refusal to live under God's rule and blessing, they were kicked out of the garden and into the city of man. Similarly, we can fast forward to Israel. Israel was supposed to be God's people in God's place, the promised land, under God's rule and blessing. But that didn't last long either. Remember that as soon as they got into the promised land, as soon as they began conquering the nations that were already there, we're told that they began to do what was right in their own eyes. They didn't live under God's rule. And then they asked for a king. They said, let's let's find a person, a man to rule over us. To be like all the other nations. And so like Adam and Eve, they too rejected God's rule and blessing. And for that reason, they would eventually be kicked out of God's place. They too would be exiled. So when Jesus comes and announces to the people... That the kingdom of God is at hand. He is announcing that the kingdom of God would no longer be centered around an ethnic identity. Or around a geographic location. But around Him. 
the king. He said that he was going to build a new kingdom, a new temple. He would establish his people in the long-awaited kingdom. We also see Jesus proclaiming this already kingdom throughout his ministry. He told the Pharisees when they accused him of casting out demons by the power of Satan himself. He tells them in Matthew chapter 12 verse 28. He says, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, if I'm here and I'm performing these miracles and it's the spirit of God that's doing these things, then guess what? The kingdom has come. It's here. Jesus was able to perform the miracles he did because the kingdom had come. Heaven was breaking through to the earth. In Matthew chapter 28, in issuing the Great Commission, Jesus tells his disciples there in order to encourage them and encourage us for the task that we have ahead of us. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus says, I'm the king. I have all authority. I'm the one who has died and who is raised again to endless life. All authority belongs to me. And if all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, then it would appear that the kingdom has indeed come. Furthermore, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, that for the believers, if you are sitting here this morning and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and God has given you a new heart, listen to what He's done for you. It says, He has delivered us From the domain of darkness, the city of man, the kingdom of this world, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You are citizens of Christ's kingdom. You are a citizen of the city of God. That kingdom is here. According to Jesus, when he arrived, he ushered in the kingdom of God. He demonstrated it. He proved it through his miracles that the kingdom of God was upon them. And after his resurrection, he was given all authority in heaven and on earth. So that when we trust in Jesus Christ, when we submit ourselves to the king, we are transferred. God takes us and he moves our citizenship out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. And in some ways, we can see even now the kingdom of God breaking through on the earth. We can see it manifested powerfully. We're seeing it right now this week in our hometown in Asbury. It's the kingdom of God. Advancing, moving, working in people's hearts. And so when we pray for the kingdom of God to come, that's what we're asking that God would do. That God would move and work in people's hearts. That He would bring them into His kingdom. That He would redeem them out of the domain of darkness. And transfer them into the kingdom of His Son. We're praying for what's happening at Asbury to happen everywhere. And while we've seen this week. At the same time. That indeed the dominion of darkness is strong. The kingdom of God is stronger. It is still powerful. It is still moving. And so if God's kingdom then, if these things are true, 
which they are. We've, we've seen Jesus himself tell us this in Scripture. If God's kingdom is already present, if we can see it moving and advancing on the earth, then why does Jesus tell us to pray for the kingdom to come? Isn't it already here? Didn't he himself say that it's at hand, that it's come upon them, that he's been given all power and authority? Well, Jesus tells us to ask for God's kingdom to come because we're still waiting for the full realization of that kingdom on the earth. We are God's people. We are living in God's presence to an extent. His Holy Spirit is with us. Under the rule and blessing of God to an extent. That rule has not been extended to all corners of creation yet. But just like the Grammys and nearly everything else that we see in this world demonstrates. God's kingdom has not yet fully arrived and overtaken the city of man. It is still a not yet kingdom. Consider the verse that I just read from Colossians, Colossians 1.13. Paul tells us that, that God has transferred us out of the domain of darkness. And so in other words, the domain of darkness is still here and active and present. It is the default kingdom of every person born. We have to be rescued out of that kingdom. We have to be rescued out of enemy control. The domain of darkness is still here. It is a present, sad reality. It's the kingdom of this world, the city of man. And currently, the ruler of that city, the ruler of that kingdom, the kingdom of this world, the Bible tells us is Satan himself. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul writes, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Listen, I've got bad news for you here if you're an unbeliever. The Bible tells us that you are blinded by Satan. You may not realize it. You may not even believe that Satan exists. But it's only because he's blinded you. And our prayer is that God, through His Holy Spirit, would break through that blindness and illuminate your heart and allow you to see and to cry out to Him for your need to be transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. That you would see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Elsewhere, Paul calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. And even now, the entire world continues to be under his influence, whether they recognize it or not, because they are blinded, enslaved to sin, and under the dominion of darkness. So God's kingdom is still not yet fully realized. The author of Hebrews explains it, explains this tension in Hebrews 2, 8 and 9. He says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, Jesus, he left nothing outside of his control. This echoes Matthew 28, that, that all authority has been given to him. But look at this. This is key. 
At present, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. You see, all authority has been given to Christ. It's all been put into subjection to him. It's just that the earth hasn't realized it yet. The enemy hasn't realized he's already defeated. He's still raging. He's still blinding. He is still fighting. But his doom is sure. He will not be victorious. And so when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are praying that Christ would take what is rightfully his, that he would end the rule and dominion of Satan on the earth and vanquish forever the city of man. At present, at present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. We see some already aspects of the kingdom, yes. We see Jesus Christ crowned with glory and honor. We see from time to time the kingdom of God breaking through into this earthly realm. But more often than not, we see the not yet aspects of the kingdom. And because of that, we long for a day. We long for a day when death and heartache will be no more. We long for a day when Satan's influence over our culture will be broken. We long for a day when earthquakes will no longer bury babies in the rubble of fallen down buildings. When we pray for God's kingdom to come, that's what we are praying for. We're praying that no more Christians would be beheaded in the Middle East. That children would no longer be abused and neglected by people that they trust. For weapons of war to be beaten into plowshares. For the lion and the lamb to lie down together. That's what we're praying for when we pray, Your kingdom come. Lord, conquer it. Rule it. Vanquish the wickedness. Put an end to suffering and heartache and disaster. And order everything according to Christ's rule. The last words of our Bible are an echo of Jesus' prayer. There, John concludes the book of Revelation with these words, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Every spouse who has ever been abandoned, every parent who has ever had to bury a child, everyone who has watched a loved one struggle through the horrors of chemotherapy, every time, We are forced to watch with absolute shock and dismay the aftermath of another school shooting. We know deep in our bones that this is the prayer that we need. Your kingdom come. God, come and fix it. Make it right. Make it how it's supposed to be under the rule and dominion and authority of Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is our longing. This is our desire. Because when God's kingdom finally arrives, when this prayer is finally and ultimately answered, and the city of man and all of its wickedness is vanquished, we'll see what's described in Revelation 11.15. Where there we're told the seventh angel 
blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his cross. And he shall reign forever and ever. How we long for that day. How we long for the kingdom of this world to become the kingdom of Christ. But until that day comes, there's work for us to be doing. And so that's why along with this request for God's kingdom to come, Jesus also teaches us that we should pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? Well, quite simply, Jesus is teaching us to pray that people would live in obedience to God as He is instructed in His Word. What God has shown us is His will for us to do. What He has revealed to us is His will for how we are to live our lives. We are praying that that would take place. This second petition or or supplication provides... I think then an important balance to the first. Because you see, like the people of Rome, we can sometimes get the two kingdoms confused. We can confuse the city of man and the city of God and think that if we are able just to pass the right laws, to elect the right politicians, to cancel the right celebrities, to boycott the right companies, If we can do these things, then we can bring God's kingdom on our own. But you see, the Bible tells us that this is why we must pray your kingdom come. Because God's kingdom will never arrive on the earth, never fully arrive until Jesus returns. It's not by passing the right laws or electing the right people or boycotting the right brands. It's only when Jesus comes back. Now that does not mean that we shouldn't strive to do good things. It doesn't mean that we should give up and not strive to pass good laws. To stand up for what is righteous and true. But we need to understand that those things, even our best efforts, even our most successful efforts, are only ever going to be temporary improvements that we can make as citizens of the city of man. This domain of darkness, no matter what we're able to accomplish politically, culturally, this earthly kingdom is still passing away. And it still must give way to Christ and His kingdom. God's kingdom is built on righteousness. It is centered on Christ. And when it finally comes, everything wicked, sad, and evil will come untrue. And that's why we pray, your kingdom come. But until that day, your will be done. Work in our hearts, O God, to make us obedient to your word. Bring people into subjection to your will. That's what we're praying. That's what we're praying so that the wickedness of this earth would be diminished. By praying for both God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done. We are reminded that God's kingdom grows not through cultural influence, but through heart transformed obedience. And so Jesus is telling us the goal that we should ask for. The goal is the coming of God's kingdom. The means by which it happens, though, is his will to be done.
For people to be transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His Son. And the good news is, God has graciously instructed us on His will. He's shown us how He expects us to live and worship Him in His Word. And yet, unfortunately, because of the overwhelming influence of the city of man, because of the fact that we are born into the domain of darkness, people have the audacity to reject God's will. We have the audacity to look at God and rebel and tell Him no. And it's astounding that a man, a person, would so brazenly reject the will of God. You see, God formed the stars in the universe, the uncountable billions of stars, these giant balls of flaming gas and he puts them out there in the universe and he says you stay right here and you just burn and blink and twinkle and be beautiful but you stay in this orbit you keep marching to this rhythm and the stars don't disobey yet we in our audacity have the gall to look at God and say no I'm not going to obey you I know what you tell me to do, but I reject your will. And so in teaching us to pray through, pray for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done, Jesus is teaching us something extraordinary. He's teaching us to submit our will to God's. You see, in order to be subjects, to be citizens of God's kingdom... We must relinquish all claims to our own kingdoms. We have to submit all our desires to Him. Because it's awfully hard for us to pray, Your will be done, when we are actively rejecting God's will. When we are going our own way. When we, when we say, God, I want Your will to be done, except I want to choose my own version of sexuality. I, I want to... Date who I want to date. I want to watch what I want to watch. I want to gossip about who I want to gossip about. God's your, 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 God, your will be done except in these areas. What a foolish prayer to pray. When we pray, God, your will be done, there is a necessary submission, a subjection of our will to God's. And so when Jesus teaches teaches us to pray, God, your will be done, he's teaching us to submit, to set aside our own desires and inclinations, to submit them to the Lord. Now that's hard to do. You see, this was the very first temptation. Satan enticed Adam and Eve in the garden to do what? To be like God, to have their own kingdom. To try to take his kingdom and make it our kingdom. That's what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with. And ever since then, ever since then, we've been living in exile from God's kingdom. But that exile will not last forever. The king has already come and he has already conquered death and hell. 
He has gone to the cross to pay for our sins, the reason for our exile. He's paid for the the rebellion that we committed against Him so that we could be welcomed back into His kingdom. And then He defeated the last enemy that has claim on us. He rose from the grave and broke the power of death. And so Christ is the King of all things. It's how He can say that all authority has been given to Him. He has defeated even death itself. So death has no power over our Lord Jesus. That's why as Christians, we too now have the hope that our Lord Jesus, the King of Kings, when He establishes His rule forevermore, we will be resurrected and be with Him. The question that remains for us is which kingdom am I a citizen of? You see, God's kingdom is coming. The king is coming again. And so do you now remain in the dominion of darkness, in rebellion against the true king? Or have you already been transferred into the kingdom of Christ? The good news is, if that has not happened yet for you, you can become a citizen of Christ's kingdom today. Jesus has already paid the price. He's already paid the price of your transfer of citizenship. He's already broken the power of death and the claim that hell has on you. The only thing left for you to do is to believe in Him. To submit your life to Him as King. And so if you would like to do that today, then in just a moment, come and let me know that you would like to have that conversation about how you can become a citizen of the forever kingdom of Christ. How you can forfeit your citizenship in this domain of darkness. It is a sinking ship. It is going down. And while it may look powerful and strong and ascendant for the moment, there is coming a day when the kingdom of this earth will become the kingdom of our Christ. Become a citizen of that kingdom while there is still time, while there is still hope. And if you already have, if that's where your citizenship is, then brothers and sisters, our duty is to pray as earnestly and fervently as we possibly can. God, your kingdom come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Fix it. Make it right. Bring your promises to bear. And may it come quickly. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word and the hope that it contains. We thank You for the promise of a coming kingdom. Because, Lord, it's on weeks like this that we need that promise. When our news is littered with images of destroyed lives in Turkey and Syria, of debauched satanic worship at the Grammys, Lord, we see these two things as symptoms of the same problem. Symptoms of the rot, the center of the kingdom of this earth. Lord, it is ruled by an unjust tyrant. And Lord, we long for the day when the true king will return and throw down Satan. And make the kingdom of this world his kingdom forever and ever. 
Lord, we long to, to, to live under His rule and reign. But until that day comes, Lord, help us to be faithful as citizens of Your kingdom. To proclaim truth in the world in which we live. Lord, I pray that for those here that are not yet citizens of Christ's kingdom, that You would draw them to Yourself even now. Make it irresistible. So that they have no choice but to submit to the King in all of His glory. And it's in the name of King Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.